0: Welcome along to another episode of the Formation Podcast. This is episode number 12. Thank you for joining us yet again. Um, The 2019-20 to season is coming towards its end now, but there is still a lot of exciting stuff which we're here to discuss. Um, Today we're going to go over three or four main talking points. Again, the same as last week. Um, We've got Leicester's downfall. Um, in 2020 are they going to make the top four who knows that's still to be decided of course we're going to talk about Southampton Harry's team and just how well they have done in recent weeks but also since kind of December they've they've had a very good run of form Uh, Wigan Athletic in the championship the struggles they're facing off the pitch but how they're defying that on the pitch but we're going to start with Manchester City's UEFA band. Before that, though, if you haven't watched before, we'll just go through our names. I'm George and today I'm joined by... Harry. Sam. And Devin. So it is time. We may as well get straight into it. Um, that was my stopwatch starting just to keep time that we don't go on and bore you. Um, yeah, I doubt you would have heard it, to be honest. The microphone isn't that good. But that was what it was. Um, So Manchester City, we've spoken about this on previous episodes. They had a ban um, which was threatened them with. um, It was a two-year UEFA ban from European competition um, due to they supposedly broke FFP, financial fair play, laws. Um, But earlier this week, that ban was overturned after City appealed it, which means No, they'll be fine and they will be back in the Champions League again next season. Um, Not that they've missed one, but they will be in it next year because their slot is already confirmed. Um, Starting with you then, Harry, were you surprised at all to hear this was the decision
1: they came to or did you expect it? Pep Guardiola was very confident all, all the days leading up and the weeks leading up that it, it would be overturned. So I was sort of unsure. I wasn't sure whether it was going to get overturned or not, but his confidence sort of, it felt like he already, he didn't know the decision, but maybe he, he had a slight inkling whether maybe something's gone gone on behind the scenes because we know that FIFA and football in general isn't always the the cleanest place for rulings. I know it went to the the su- the Supreme Court and stuff like that. But to be honest, you, I, I, I wasn't too surprised. They got their fee- they got their fine reduced all the way back to ten million euros as well, which is quite a drop from thirty. And I know you know Klopp is very unimpressed. Solskjaer doesn't really care that much, or at least he, he comes off in the way that he needs to focus on his games rather than everyone else's. But to ask your question, yeah, I'm I'm not very surprised at this at this ruling.
0: Um, the the race for the top four has been probably as wide open as it's ever been in the Premier League this year and there was the thought that because Man City are in second that fifth place would be enough and since, um, since this news has come out a lot of managers have said oh it's wrong whatever um, Sam do you think this kind of signals the end for FFP as a lot of people have been putting it
2: yeah I mean I wasn't. I wasn't surprised at all when when City overturned it. I think we've all we've all seen those videos on Twitter of the Man City chairman wa- walking with all those lawyers around the place. I think as soon as the as soon as the ban came and City strongly denied it, I think we knew that it was going to get overturned because clubs like Manchester City have exploited FFP for a long time now. I mean, the ban was put in place originally for you know offences that were committed over eight years ago which is why eventually it was overturned and they've been doing it for a long time i think we know that a club like man city although they are a big club now and they've they've been very successful they're not as big a brand as you know your manchester united your liverpools so they're gonna you know the the, the sponsorship the sponsorship money that they report can't be can't be right i mean and the, the links that the 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 companies that sponsor them have their their owner i mean the evidence is quite substantial for me i mean they said it was insufficient evidence so there is evidence there of wrongdoing but yeah i think ffp they've got the the cause is noble from uefa but they've got to reconsider it and let's be honest uefa would probably fail ffp so i just want to mention as well there
0: was a there was a photo that did the rounds on social media um, on the morning that this was announced of I think it was on Manel Estiarte's Instagram page, who's he's one of like Pep's henchmen. You know, he's got dozens of them I know, but he, he is one of the key men. And it was of um it was of them. Pep was there and I think the CEO was there as well. Um they were all crowded around a TV screen, smiling at their delight that they've got away with it. Um, Devon, this was soon after taken down. Do you think they? Do you think they were right to take that
3: down? Should they not be open with how happy they are about it? Um, I think they're more happy because, like you said, um, they've gotten away with it. We all, I think, everyone's aware of the FFP rules. I know, especially me, would be a Wednesday fan. I know I'm bringing it up again, but we've been absolutely torrid with uh, FFP breaching and, um, as owners selling to a uh, holding company, which is not allowed. And this is a ve- uh, this is what City have done anyway with Etihad sponsorship and everything else because they're owned by the same person. You can't do that, but I think. It, it it's one of them where it's money talks, isn't it? Because city's definitely got a, a big more a more demand of money to go after you if if, if they decided to keep a uh, keep keep the ban in place, which I think a lot of people are disappointed. We've already alluded to a lot of managers kicking off. I think you know it's been quite P R saying yeah we're not we're not bothered about Man City you know coming back into Champions League. All we're bothered about is you know. Um, the fine if they're guilty, you know, like Mourinho said, if the fine was a, uh, if there was guilty, then there shouldn't be a fine. So it's it is kind of backwards in that way. It's a bit like you know when when someone in the court of law has being uh, wrongly accused of racism, but then the uh, EFL have charged them. It's like where does that line happen? But um, it, it's it's a let off for city i think because it, we all we all know they probably should have got charged for it but i think that i think you are for a scared and like we've alluded to ffp has you know it's not is the integrity of ffp is not good enough um it's supposed to be there to stop these kind of things happening and they've just been happening in in every single league you you talk about um keeping the competition between the teams coming down and the lower end championship sides intact, yet they're getting 90 million parachute payments and the bottom teams are struggling and they're not allowed to spend over like 5 million. What where's the, where's the financial fair play in that?
2: It's a huge win for City really. I mean their finances, reputation squad are now all still intact now that the band's gone away. And instead of, you know, the squad being dismantled at the end of this season, all the big players leaving, they're probably going to keep them. You know, tie down Pep to a new long-term contract, De Bruyne, players like that. So you can see why managers like Jurgen Klopp might be a little bit displeased by it. And obviously we talked about it at length last, last episode about, you know, can City be the next dynasty or whatever? And this is only going to help their case in that sense because... With the Champions League, they'll still be able to attract all the best players, and they've got away with it this time. You say they can't again.
3: Well, we've said it seems like we've been talking about this on the podcast since as radio show show days. This is when it really started, wasn't it? Mm. I think we're a second episode. This is when the news came out, and we discussed it obviously on that show. Um, But I mean, it, it like like Klopp said, it's a dark day for football, which. Kinda is because they're gonna have to rethink all the the um, the financial fair play stuff. But you know, um, I mean, I really I've got the quote from Klopp here, and it just sounds very selfish. Saying is is only it's only it's happy for him to play in the Champions League, but that's just because they have twelve more games to play. How selfish is that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you don't know why he's angry. I mean, they're still gonna be competitors. That's why they're gonna. And they're going to be a big challenge to Liverpool next season now now that they've got that freedom back.
0: Could you could you also say alternatively that um, had they gone on without European football, while they might have maybe lost a few players, without those extra games that they maybe could have benefited, benefited in the race for the title? Or do you think the Champions League is too important nowadays to be missing out on?
2: I Man City, yeah. I mean, the the Champions League is the biggest goal now for Man City. For Pep's legacy at Manchester City, it's all about the Champions League at this point. I mean, he's won the domestic travel last season, so has he really got anything to prove on a domestic scale? Probably not. So, the Champions League is the main goal for them now, so go on, Devon.
3: I was going to say, it's, it's, it's more about the financial aspect of the Champions League on a box, but apparently money doesn't matter anyway like that, so um, <laughs> I, I think City would have, the only the only impact that they'd have had on City's squad is that they might have got rid of some of it, you know, like Silva were going, they might have looked for a younger replacement for Aguero, and they could have made that real, like a quick transition in one season to come back, uh, into them two years that they'd have been banned, to come back into the Champions League with a, you know, like a, a more improved squad, a younger squad that are going to, absolutely, that are going to challenge the likes of Bayern and Barcelona for, and Real Madrid for that Champions League um, title, which, you know, it, it seems a bit like Liverpool in the last few years where it seems like it could come, but will it? And that, I think that's the same situation with City in the Champions League.
0: And Harry, we, um, I know we touched on this a little bit last week, but now we know definitively that they will be in um, the Champions League next year. How many years do you
1: think Pep Guardiola has left at Man City? It depends whether he wants to create a legacy at Manchester City or he wants to create a legacy worldwide. He already has a legacy worldwide due to his performances at Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and stuff like that. But it's it's a similar to a lot of players. Do you want to become a club legend or do you want to go go around the world to the to other massive teams with loads of phenomenal players and win stuff there and prove that you know I can do it here, but I can also do it there, and I can also do it there. So. I don't think he's going to. I think he'll sign a longer, longest-term contract, but I don't think he'll sign one after that. I think he'll do a few more years at Manchester City, and I think he'll move on. Would
0: you Would you agree with that,
1: Sam Devon?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I think it all rided on this. What was going to happen with this ban? And I think as soon as, soon as the ban was overturned, you saw the rumours that City were preparing a long-term deal for Pep Guardiola. And he's got he's got everything he needs at Manchester City to create another Barcelona team of you know the early twenty tens. Yeah. It um, seems
3: a bit. It seems weird. how like last week we were talking about Man City's fall, and this week we're talking about yeah. them becoming a dynasty again. It's, it, that's what that's what's happened in football. We especially with a team like Manchester City that always up and down, up and down, and you know, they, they, but they have the capabilities just to become dominant for a few years and I think that's the difference between the early days of Manchester City's money influx and now is that they've actually got a bit of steadiness about them uh, As
0: as Sam said it was all riding on that ban and they ended up on the positive side of it Um, but as we mentioned with their Champions League status confirmed for next year it means that those teams in the race for the top four now their fight for those places looks to be a bit tougher Um, and one of those clubs involved is of course Leicester City um, who have had a fairly torrid 2020 so far Um, and it kind of went even worse for them last weekend it was 1-0 they were 1-0 in front away at Bournemouth at half time it all looked to be going very well indeed Bournemouth having not one in a very long time not since the restart anyway i think it was dating back to february and then bournemouth scored four in that second half to win that game harry how did that game go
1: so wrong in the second half i think their lack of their lack of um, conviction in the first half only going to goal a goal one up you know i know bournemouth haven't been phenomenal since the restart but when you're only a goal up, any team can get into any game. You've seen that all across the restart when a team's been one goal down and then just be able to come back. In Norwich, the game. whenever Norwich <laughs> gets the first goal. Uh, sorry,
0: <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it. But,
1: but uh, I okay. think it was Casper Kas- Cycle's mistake. Casper Squires' mistake when he had a poor. He had a poor pot pass out. They went in and scored, and sort of that lifted the Bournemouth players. That lifted the Bournemouth players to go. Hang on. You know, we can get right back into this game, and this was sort of Bournemouth's last hurrah. Because if they played Manchester City, which which they did lose, I think if West Ham and uh, Watford drew, they'd be down. Or Saints would only need a point against them in their next game. Bournemouth, that is, to send them down. That was the sort of their last their last real hope, and they they clung on to that. To be fair, I've been giving Dominic Solanke a lot of stick for his performances in front of goal. But Absolutely. to be fair to the lads, he scored one. He had, he had a really good finish for his second as well. So it's Leicester less, less in definitely in a very difficult position with a few tricky fixtures up next.
0: And I think uh, Brendan Rodgers had a lot of criticism from the Leicester fans because he took Colechi and Acho off at half time. Um, he brought Dennis Pratt on, who is a midfielder, isn't he? So he left Vardy a bit isolated up front. Do you think that? <laughs> contributed quite a lot to it.
2: Yeah, especially with them trying the five or the three at the back, whichever way you want to see it. I think I don't think they've played that formation yet this season. So without without the, the wingers of maybe a Damari Gray or James Madison is the main creative player you know missed a lot of games since the restart and, he, and apparently he, he might be a doubt for the last three, which is huge for them. I think creating chances obviously Against Bournemouth, their defence was calamitous, but I think the main problem for them has been created chances without without James Madison. Their wingers like Pratt, like Grey, aren't exactly the most productive when it comes to, you know, setting up the forward players. So I think they've definitely definitely struggled there.
0: So they've won just one game since the restart, which was a three-nil win against Crystal Palace. Their last away league victory came on New Year's Day. That was against Newcastle. Um, So, Devon, we've obviously mentioned we don't know yet whether they'll finish in the Champions League. It is still in their hands at the time of we're recording. They've got three games left. They play Man United on the final day. But on the basis of what they've shown in this calendar year, do you think that they would struggle in the Champions League if they got there?
3: Um, It depends, because I think it's, it's one of them where... They really are desperate for the season to have ended. Um, even, <clears throat> I think, the obviously it's not a break as such because it was a worldwide pandemic, but that halt in the season came at the wrong time. They'd just been on a bad run of form and then they played Aston Villa and got a 4-0 victory and they looked they looked brilliant in that game. Uh, obviously, Aston Villa, shy of confidence and everything in that. But then it, the season ended, uh, finished and they just not seem to have Took that momentum back into it and implemented it. Ever since the the restart, they've looked. You know, they they look like a mid-table side again. And um, I th- I think when you've still got players like Demarai Gray and Albrighton, and you you're relying on them players, that's where this the the kind of cut-off line for the Champions League quality stops. Not not taking anything away from them uh, from the two wingers, but when you look around their side you've got winners and you've got average players I think and they really need to if they were to go in the Champions League I think they need to make you know three four marquee signings just to be able to compete obviously the last time they were in the Champions League they still had the buzzer from winning the league and that that mentality because even if Ranieri wasn't there Craig Shakespeare carried on that mentality and um and at the minute, you know tonight they play Sheffield United. I can't see them beating Sheffield United. I think United are too relentless and um, will will absolutely dominate against Leicester. Especially when you know when you your heads down and they're, miss, they're missing Sonshu, who I I I don't rate as highly as people do anyway. But they're missing one of the key players and especially with the form that Sheffield United are in. They've kind, they kind of started off like Leicester, you know, stumbling a little bit, but as soon as they got that win against Spurs, they've really you know rocketed in confidence. And yeah, I think I can't see them even beating Spurs or Man United at this rate either. Maybe, maybe one win tonight will spark that revival, but other than that, I think it's going to be zero points out of three for, for Leicester.
0: I think you're. I think you're right about Soyuncu because I think him and Evans have played the the vast majority of those games at centre back, and we've seen on a number of occasions how a switch in that position can, you know, it, it can create uncertainty, can't it? Um, do you think Sam obviously mentioned James Madison there? Do you think if they weren't to finish in the Champions League, would he be tempted to move away, or has he maybe? Failed to live up to expectations slightly this season.
3: It seems like since the the rumours got a little bit stronger with Manchester United and and you know and Tottenham, whoever he's been linked with as well, he, his heads kind of been turned and his forms took a massive dip. And it's it's not just him as well. I think there's been a one or two. Chilwell, especially since the Chelsea link. He obviously scored that that beauty of a goal in the first game against Watford, but since then he, he he's took a nosedive in form, and I think the whole squad has as well. I think there's only been really Cashus Michael, um, that's you know really saved them at times. Apart from uh, that first goal at Bournemouth, where I mean every, everyone's got a mistake in him, um, and not just Cashus Michael that night. Sonchu had one, the whole team had one, and. Uh, they, it, it seems like they don't have a plan B. Uh, they they're used to just, you know, holding on to possession and then when they can release Invardi on the break, but other than that, they, they haven't got a plan B like winners do.
2: Yeah, especially against the sides lower down the table. I mean, they've won two of the last three against sides who have started in the relegation zone. So I think when they play against those teams that sit back a little bit more, focus on being a bit more compact rather than focus on going forward. And they've struggled because they obviously, when they won the league that year, they they thrived on the counter-attack. And I think they still do with Vardy up top, getting in behind. So I think when, you know, when sides to side come on, you have to break us down and they, they struggle a little bit.
0: Do you think um, for Man United and Tottenham, who are two of the main clubs who've been linked with Maddison's, the Grealish's, um do you think... They're more likely to go for Grealish if he's if he's playing for a team who are in the Championship. He might need the funds a bit more, and also that Grealish has maybe performed a bit better this year.
2: I think I think Grealish is a bit more versatile when it comes to midfield. I think he can play a bit further forward, but he can also be that man sitting in, sitting just in front of the defence. So I think that will definitely work in his favour. With you know, like I said, he's a bit more versatile. So I think. Yeah, I think probably greelish to answer your question. So
0: speaking more about Leicester then, um, Harry, can you see them continuing to challenge for the top four next term? Or do you think they've maybe
1: overachieved this year in being in that race? For me, it it entirely depends on whether they lose a lot of their key players. It depends if they lose the sort of wells, if they lose... Um, the Madisons and also just, just players like Wilfred Didi as well I know he's not really been linked rounds, but you know Chilwell's in performance has also coincided with Wilfred Ndidi's injuries this season the fact that when Chilwell didn't get Ndidi's protection that's where a lot of his poor games have been he's been a very he's been a staple of their size whether he goes for a very strange reason that, you know, he's at the De Montford University, so it'll be interesting to see how his, how his studies change if he did leave. It's just those small little players that they might take out here or there, which, you know, takes all, all the pack of cards. As a Southampton fan, I know there's only so many times you can take out a key player, replace them, and then not the same quality. And Leicester have had that quite a few times where they've brought in another player who's done really, really well. But it's only so long that that, that wheel keeps rolling before you buy... Uh, a Guido Carrillo for 19 million pounds and he's not quite mm.
2: the same. <laughs> I think mean, that's hey, been should I go or are you? You go,
3: you go.
2: All right. I think uh something that a uh, problem that Rogers has had during his career, obviously it didn't happen at Celtic because that was just a breeze. But when things do start to go wrong, then then you it really starts to test Rogers as a manager. I think we saw at Liverpool during their title, title charge and things started to be a bit if he didn't have didn't have that plan B like already mentioned. So it's gonna be interesting to see how Rogers adapts next season, what he does differently. Because they had such an amazing run, was it you know, December, December time. How can he reinvigorate that sort of form?
3: Yeah, Leicester Leicester are not an attractive kind of um team. I don't I'd I know they've been challenging all season, but even when you said the top six, you still don't associate Leicester City with that with that bunch because well I don't think you know like when if two teams came in for uh, a player and Leicester's one of them and the other one's Tottenham now Tottenham don't have uh, have not been at it at all this season. However, they have still got the pulling power of White Hart Lane, well the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now and. Uh, Mourinho. And Jose too. Mourinho. Yeah, mm. it is. You, a little less uh,
2: than a couple of years ago. But.
3: Yeah, but but still you I think for a player, they're still a more sometimes more of an attractive um you know, to go towards Tottenham or Arsenal, even though Leicester have been challenging more. And it's it's all about next season because if they if they start the season poorly, then we could be seeing the end of Rogers.
2: Well even Rogers is almost tempted by Arsenal, obviously. When they were on that run, he was linked a lot with Arsenal. And there was at one point it looked like he was going. So Yeah,
3: it seems like every time so like we've said, Madison, uh Chilwell and Rogers, as so, so soon as they've been linked away, the heads turned and it's it's a bit like when Marco Silva were at Watford and every and they got linked to Everton, everything just seemed to change and you know, stutter, and that's what's happened this season.
0: Yeah, and uh when Leicester beat Southampton nine 0 towards the end of 2019. Um, many people expected Southampton to nosedive from there, um, and they have done exactly the opposite, you would have to say. Ralph Hasenhutl has revived them. Um, before we get on to some of the impressive stuff they've done, Harry, I want to ask you, after that 9-0 defeat, um, which if you had to estimate a percentage of Saints supporters who were calling for his head. Um, what, would you, what would you say the split
1: was? Because I know you had your opinion on it, but what mm. would you say? I'd say maybe 50 50 or 60 40 for him, him to go, due to the fact that he, he brought this thing to the club that I don't think anywhere else has sort of seen before. One, the dedication to the job, and two, the passion for the job as well. And people saw that 9 0 result. And I, I was, I was obviously questioning him at, at the time. I wanted him to stay on. I wanted him to stay on to try and prove himself because I knew that we wouldn't get a manager of the same calibre of him, and we'd probably bring in a Sam Allardyce or, a, or a, not Mark Hughes again, obviously, but someone of that sort of realm to sort of guarantee safety. But yeah, I think when that nine nil happened, it was, it was very fifty fifty. There was a lot of people that were very quick to go and say no. If we're going to go down, if he, if he doesn't get so, he needs to bring someone in to guarantee safety. But there's also a lot of people that were very calm and thought, yes, this has happened, but he might change the formation, which he did a few games later. He might do this, he might do that. And thankfully, thankfully, it was the latter.
0: So that 9 0 defeat, as you mentioned, made him change formation. Do you think it was definitely the wake up call that you needed? Because as we've seen,
1: just how well it's gone since. Oh yeah, it certainly was the wake-up call, but people sort of forget after the 9-0 loss, we lost back-to-back games to Manchester City and then lost to Everton 2-1, which was a horrendous game. I think in the first half they had about 15 shots and we had zero and we were only 1-0 down, just about staging the game before like an 85th minute winner. But after that game, especially, I think that was that 9-0 was a big thing. But not a lot of people talk about that. Ralph was really, really on the edge because a lot of people are losing, not losing their temper. But they thought, well, after the 9-0, there was sort of a reaction. But there wasn't a massive reaction because we still lost three games on the bounce. And I think Ralph sort of had the feeling of, well, if I am going to go out, I'm going to go out my way. <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. But um, he <laughs> went to the four two two system and thought you know what this is what worked for me in Germany I'm going to try it here and if it doesn't work fine I'm off but if it does we could really do something here and he went back to what he knows and we picked up phenomenal results since.
0: Yeah and uh, I think one of the stats which was doing the rounds on Twitter the other night was that Southampton have actually earned more points than Leicester since Mm -hmm. that 9-0 defeat, um, which is quite a stat considering Leicester are. But it kind of illustrates what we've been talking about. Um, And their form away from home as well has been excellent. They've won eight times away from home and only lost six times. And we saw the other day too, Southampton getting a point at a Man United team who you know, you would have never expected yeah. that earlier in the year, would you? So, no. what do you th- what do you think has changed, Sam Devon, from from watching from the outside point?
2: I think I've been really impressed with Sampton's fitness since the restart. I think in that in the first game against Norwich, especially in that second half, it felt like they were just miles ahead of Norwich in in fitness terms, and then against Manchester United. <coughs> to grab that late goal, which they definitely deserve for, the, for their early pressure, especially with, you know, they were, they were getting in every time with Bertrand and Carl Walker-Peters getting in behind the Man United defence. And the way they press and harried Manchester United's midfield, I think that's what led to, you know, Paul Pogba having a pretty poor game. They just kept on him and on him and on him all game and kept going. I think, to answer your question, the biggest thing for me, especially since the restart, has been... Southampton's work great, especially off the ball, and their fitness.
3: Yeah, you mentioned the high press. That's what led to ultimately led to uh, Shea Adams' maiden goal for Southampton. You know, pressing on to uh, to Manchester City and forcing that mistake. I think we're seeing kind of flashes from when Pochettino was there, and you know, the style of football, the the way they held onto the ball, and they were more, you know, they were more attacking and ruthless. As we've already mentioned a few times tonight, but they're. Um, they, they went straight at Manchester United instead of you know if you're looking at that Brighton game, for example you're thinking, oh God if we give them you know a little bit a uh, little bit of space they're going to absolutely punish us and Southampton didn't. they took it on to Manchester United and that's where Manchester United struggled and um, I, I was very impressed with Southampton and even when you go two one down, um, I know Southampton in the past they've come back to 2-2 and it's haunted them I mean, especially in the, the League Cup final just to ha- make Harry <laughs> have PTSD uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah surely if the, next season they just need to sort the home form out and mm. surely they'll be be a contender for Europe maybe
2: i mean, they, well, they almost love to see they almost showed a different dimension to their game in the sense that Danny Ings had a pretty quiet game against Manchester United but they didn't need him I think Stuart Armstrong, especially, has been very impressive since the restart. Uh, two goals and three assists in the in the six games since the restart. So, yeah, he's been he's been one of your big players. Mm.
0: Harry, um, we're praising we're praising you so much as a lot of pundits on television have. Um, is there a bit of you that fears Ralph maybe being poached? By a bigger team like Patrino was, Devon was making the comparisons.
1: Mm-hmm. I think there would certainly be a chance if he signed a two-year contract extension. But I, I was phenomenally surprised and excited when he announced that he was going to sign a deal till twenty twenty-four. So if it's twenty twenty-two, I'll say, yeah, he's going to be here for a few years, and another big team's going to come in for him and take him away. But that's a, that's a sign of intent. If not, we'll get a massive compensation fee. But I. I think there's a big chance that he'll stay because I think he's really seen a project here. I don't know how because, you know, when he came in, we were awful. And since then, I think only Liverpool and Burnley out of the top 10 teams we haven't picked up points against. Second to fourth, we've beaten all of those. Again, in the bottom three, apart from Bournemouth, sorry, out of the bottom four, out of only Bournemouth, we've done the double over all of those teams. Like, we've, we've picked up important results in important places. And against the mid-table teams, yes, we've struggled a bit. We're going into next season, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. If we're going to have the bounce that people are expecting, or it's going to be the same as last, this season, the fact that loads of people are really, really excited because we've got Rafa Znouta, we've got his style of football, we've been playing his formation in pre-season, and then we lose 3-0 to Burnley on the opening day of the season, and it just caused a bit of a lull. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
3: With next season, Harry, then, where does Ralph need to improve to make that next step up?
1: Well, we're already close to signing new centre back in Mohamed Salisu from Real Valladolid. He's a twenty one year old guy now that's been rated quite highly in the Spanish league. Um so yeah, so like, centre back I think's quite big. The wingers, apart from Stuart Armstrong, they don't you know, they don't get a lot of goals and assists. Redmond puts in a fair few, but after him, Buffal, Jinepo, Smallboney, although I think he's more of a central midfielder, they don't get involved a lot. For our our full backs for as much as they bomb on quite forward, their goals and assists is quite low. So I think full-backs, maybe a Hoiberg replacement as well, because once again, I like Smallbone and I like Ramey, but I think he's not very dynamic at all. So I think we need to bring in a new person there. But apart from that, I think the core of our squad is very strong in terms of the fact that they're they're all going for the same project. So I've not seen this in years in the fact of, it's just the small things like we're going the extra yards you've seen it against Manchester City. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous. It, this sounds like a stupid thing to say. But when we celebrate goals, it act, there's actually a smile on people's faces. When, you know, in the past when Tadic and Graziano Pella scored, yeah, they'd run off into the distance, but they're very straight faced. It didn't really seem like they wanted to be there. Whereas now there's smiles, there's happiness, there's genuine joy when we score because it feels like it's we're going one step further to the end score, whatever that is.
0: Yeah, it is the little things. I, I can see why that's something that you would pick up on. Um, you could still finish as high as ninth this year. I think that would include you winning all of your games. But I think they are they are winnable games mm. from what I've seen. You've still got Bournemouth, haven't you? Um, yep. which I'm sure will be one that you'll be keen to win <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were talking the big end at the start of the year. Um, but like you say it is an attractive proposition for players looking for a transfer into the Premier League. I would say it is one of those clubs for sure. Um, We're going to move on now to our fourth and final talking point before the end of show quiz. Um, We spoke about a nine nil result earlier in the year Um, in the championship this midweek. There was only one result, which was getting all the attention. Um, Wigan Athletic, Playing against Hull City, both of which could still find themselves in relegation trouble, but for different reasons, we should say um, that game between Wigan and Hull finished 8-0. Um, eight 0 eight eight nil to Wigan. It was seven nil at half time. Um, quite a staggering result, to be honest, um, considering the circumstances. Um, if we start, if we talk about Hull briefly first, and then we'll move on to Wigan. Um, Devon for a club who are you know they started this game in the bottom three they're still in the bottom three now but they started that game in the bottom three desperate for points is it inexcusable for that to happen and to lose by such a margin
3: Uh, I think no matter what team you are or who you're playing against to lose 8-0 is frankly ridiculous but it's it's much worse in the situation that Hull find themselves in and that uh, a very crucial time. You're going into your last uh, two games off the back of an eight 0 loss. Like I can't see any way of Hull surviving unless this just brings like that sort of reaction where we're actually we're gonna prove ourselves. Which uh, you haven't seen that. I mean, in the past eighteen games, Grant McCann's side have only just won one. One of them eighteen and lost fourteen of them. They've lost twenty three all season. And it seems really contrasting to when at the start of the season, when they still had Bowen, they still had Grosicke, they were actually challenging, and they were they were like kind of a dark horse for the top six, and Hull fans I mean, they've been singing the praises from the start of the season but now they're in a very bad position. Their owners are terrible, the team is terrible, the manager's got no clue of like any sort of tactical sense to get them out of it. They've picked up a few few points now here and there, but it's not, it's not enough and you know, you look at the next two games, you've got Luton who have been in fine form since Nathan Jones came back in and you've got Cardiff who are still hanging on to that last playoff place. I can't see Hull being in this division next season.
0: As well, Devon, you mentioned there, um the losses of Bowen and Grzycki in January and I've seen over the last couple of days, because when you see a result like this, you naturally go to Hull's Twitter and you scroll underneath and see what the fans are saying. And there were several pictures of supporters putting bets on at the end of January, when they were seeing these players would go, they could see it coming. They could see the collapse coming without the influence of those players. Um, And they, they play Luton this weekend, which is a pretty massive fixture Um, because they're not out of it yet. But like you say, Grant McCann's still in the job. Um,
2: and he's got a job to do if he's to get them I out. mean I mean that that form in the first half of the season was just paper over the cracks really with the ownership saga that feels like it's been going on for ages with the Alan family mm-hmm. I mean it's almost it's almost parallel to Newcastle the worse even cuz i feel like they've been trying mm-hmm. to sell it now for five or six years or i say trying they've not put much effort into it and it's been Obviously, they had the whole season card thing a couple of years yep. ago as well, which really hit their attendance. And the, the, the fan trust in the club and the ownership and the hierarchy is just at an all-time low. And the re- a relegation is the last thing they need, but it looks very likely.
3: It's not just that, though. They've been blinded by success. I remember in 2016 when they got promoted and they had a very, very solid championship side. Uh, that beat Sheffield Wednesday at Hull uh, at Wembley, not Hull Uh, it's it's not that glamorous I've been there before Um, (laughs) but you you just look at the comparison since they lost Steve Bruce, it's just been kind of a snowball effect straight down and uh, uh, they've really been found out and I can't even see, until they've got rid of the ownership, how they're going to even return it to become a stable, they're going to be a bit like what Wigan ended up being, and maybe even Bolton I have a, a yo-yo in between the League One and Championship, and then we've seen what's happened to Bolton, and it's absolutely terrible. But they seem to be on a an, an upward turn at the minute, but you know, if if Hull fans should be very, very worried at the minute.
0: So, Sam mentioned their Hull's troubles behind the scenes. Wigan have had their fair share of those recently too. Um, there's a 12-point deduction hanging over them. I think we've spoken about that in recent weeks, so we won't chat too much about that, but they seem to be defying the odds. Um, their 2020 has been brilliant too. I'm just seeing here, in their last 11 games, they've lost one of them, and in the other 10, they've kept a clean sheet in all of them, um, which Talk is about solid. Yeah, is it staggering for a, a team in the bottom half, isn't it?
2: I mean, they were the they were the second lowest scorers before the whole game, so I think that just shows how impressive. Defensively, they've been and at home since the restart as well.
1: Um, so but, they're
2: doing their best to fight off this point deduction. I mean, they're twelve points off now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that that eight 0 win is going to do a lot of good for their goal difference.
3: It's but, not just oh, sorry. Uh, go on, go on. I was going to say it's not just the points deduction though. The 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 playing squad are on twenty percent of their original wage just to you know keep the club going and. You know, club directors are working for free. And we've seen, you know, some of the, the the interviews with Paul Cook after when he uh when he talked about having to ring up and he personally rung up every redundant staff to, you know, wish him well and say sorry for the situation. And you know, he's kind of took that role on of being the instigator and the guy that's gonna keep them together. And we know what Paul Cook's done before. Chesterfield have been in terrible financial situations before, and they're they're uh, you know they used well. I'm gonna say they used to be, but under Dave Allen, they'd be terribly run and the Carson family and stuff like that. Which you know he managed to keep Chesterfield challenging and almost getting into the championship. And he's done the same with Wigan. You know even at Portsmouth, mm-hmm. they're a fan run club, and he's kept them stable and challenging. So you know maybe Paul Paul Cook's probably not a Premier League kind of manager, but for somebody that needs to revitalise the side, he's done perfectly and. You know, you look at Wigan squad; they don't have the the world beaters that some championship sides have. They've just got a cohesiveness that that uh, it's got a winning mentality at the minute. And I, I really, I'm really chuffed for them because you know no club deserves to go into administration, but now they've got an opportunity in a second window almost. It's 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 we've spoke about how it's strange how the year fell of let like, after just four weeks of a, a takeover from Dave Whelan because he had it. He had it set up perfectly as to be stable, but not not that next level. These guys came in; they were supposed to make that next level, and this has happened. But I'm really chuffed for Wigan that they've managed to drag themselves out. He still got two games to go, and if they could get, they probably with how the bottom um, two uh, three are at the minute, they probably need four points from them two games yeah. just to confirm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of worried because looking at our situation as well to bring it back to Wednesday, where is our fight, where is that passion even if we get if we get deducted 9 points which I think is the rumoured you know, lowest points deduction that they will I think the highest is 15, the lowest is 9 if we get that we're in the bottom 2 with 2 games to go and we've got Fulham who are in the, still not out of the race for the top 2 I don't think but they'll be getting the foundations ready for the playoffs and then we've got Middlesbrough who have got Neil Warnock who would love to relegate us
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you, you are you must be fairly worried about that, Devon, because we've seen in recent weeks um, Stephen Fletcher leaving at the end of his contract. Um, he wasn't the only player either, was he? And, like you say, a nil nil against Huddersfield um, the other day. So, it must be in the back of your mind.
3: Yeah, if, I mean. I don't know what relegation to the the League One would do for a club like us. I know last time when we went into it, we were just on the brink of administration, and Milan Mandarich came and saved us. Which it was probably a good move for us to rebuild in the in League One and come back stronger, which we did. But this time, with how many, we've still got quite a lot of players on high wages. Jordan Rhodes for one of them on thirty thirty five to forty grand a week,
2: mm-hmm. and he's
3: he's not even getting a look in. He's he's been absolutely terrible for us, um, and a terrible financial. This is he's one of the reasons why we're in this financial mess. But uh, and I, I can't say I'm hoping that because of I'm hoping that because of City's win that FFP don't stand up and go. You know what? We'll prove a point. Let's relegate then, because <laughs> because it just shows that. It's it's a backward system, and if you've got money and you've got good lawyers, then you're gonna get out of it. I mean, I you mentioned Fletcher going. I think he's the only him and Fox are the only players that fans were worried about leaving. Not well, we didn't think they were gonna leave. They had contract offers on there, but the rest of the players that have left, you could t- argue that they were surplus to requirements anyway. But you know, it, it's more. I'm more. I'm more worried about. His, the points deduction really messing with us. I'm hoping it'll just be a fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I think we need at least consider the wage cap in the AFL. I think we see it in American sports, and you rarely see financial troubles over there in basketball and American football. I think just to just to help clubs out in a sense to stop them getting into these situations of signing players to ridiculous contracts and fees and things like that just consider the wage cap potentially
3: i don't i think it's it's going to be a weird one because i don't think they would do it because of the money influx um if you've got a wage cap and players want to... if you've got a star player um and they're capped at 20 and a premier league or a foreign side come in for 25 they re, they might they'd be more tempted to jump and i think that's where the clubs will say no we want to pay as much as we want to pay that we can afford it, whether they do it as like a percentage of each club I'm not sure how they do it in America if it's just a set figure or it's a percentage of right your net worth, this so then you can only spend this much but you know other than that I can't see anyone agreeing to it just because of the competitiveness and how money works
0: um, Yeah I think we've pretty much discussed all our talking points now um, I have got the quiz up and ready on my screen if you can get your notepads ready um, well,
3: don't worry, it's it's at the ready. I went and grabbed it just before we were doing it.
0: I think this is the nineteenth quiz. Oh, we um, That's that's mental, isn't it? Down a pen. That's obviously dating back to when we did the uh, the radio show on Phantom um, Radio. I bet uh,
3: Phantoms missing our ratings now, aren't they? They're looking at us. Right? They're, they're envious. <laughs>
0: um, and this week, I, I was struggling for a theme to be honest, but then. Harry Kane popped up last night and scored his 200th um, <laughs> goal in club football. So I thought, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go on that. We're going we're gonna to make it all about Harry Kane. Um,
3: yeah, so Sam's on the drink already with his strong
0: <laughs> Yeah, so five questions. Stressful. <laughs> five questions about Harry Kane coming right up. Okay. Question number one, if you're already. Kane had four loan spells away from Spurs as a young player. Can you name any of the four clubs? There's four points available. Four different clubs. So you may as well write four down, but I will ask you to hold them up just to prove that you're not... Making them up as you go along.
2: one
0: of them. You just got
2: caned. <laughs> you just got. When
0: when you're ready, I I will move on. I understand there's there's four clubs that so might be a bit. I think,
2: I think I'm good.
0: Well, while we wait, I will say Harry is three clear ahead of Sam at this point. Eight clear of Devon, but with this sort of question.
2: Yeah, it could be, it could be a big swing. You know yep. know.
1: Have, you got all, okay. have you got all four, Sam?
2: I've got four answers. I don't know if there oh, are no. <laughs> got.
3: I've
0: only got three. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on anyway. Question number two. How many times has Kane won the Premier League golden boot?
2: he, just he oh, does God. like scoring goals he does
3: 250 oh wait no it's it was 200 on it 200 that's what I said Sam that's what I said
2: <laughs> that should have been one of the questions that's <laughs> our okay. memory you just
0: got care- that's why I'm
3: getting I'm getting in your head Sam that's why
0: how many <laughs> oh points? Well, yeah. the Premier League golden boot okay yeah. take a guess question number three in which year did Kane score his first goal for England i change
1: it again I'm going to change it again there we go in
2: which in which, um, which year.
3: year in which year yep yeah. when did he break
0: into the... I'll, I'll give you, I'll offer a bonus point for this one and it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you don't get it, but I have got it written down. Who were England playing against when he scored his first goal? Uh, do you get the
1: bonus point even if you don't get the year, or do you have to get both?
0: Yeah, I, I'll say. I'll say the year doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll just say there's two points. Mm. But I, there's there's no shame if you don't get it. But is that a clue? I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah. I like it's- it. Was- <laughs>
0: Okay. Trick question. trick question, didn't score okay. any. Yeah. <laughs> question number four. So he moved on to two hundred. He actually moved on to two hundred and one goals at club level with his double or his brace, but that's a cliche against Newcastle. Um how many of those goals have not been for Spurs? So we mentioned the the four clubs he played for. Um not on like and this is a we'll say this is the closest to answer. How many of those goals have not been for Tottenham?
1: Are these club league goals or are these just goals? Yeah, in...
0: No, it's club level goals, so
2: it's it's of in the, of it's the in 200 yeah. as well. Oh,
3: yeah, uh, yeah,
2: is it even double figures? <laughs> I'm saying nothing.
3: I know, he's sco- I know one for definite because he scored I think he scored his first career goal against Sheffield Wednesday. So. Oh. So, uh, yeah. I feel like no Okay. <laughs> I don't think question, gave
0: everyone a free point. Number there. five. This one's pretty difficult. In October 2014, Kane scored a hat trick in a Europa League game for Spurs before going between the sticks after Hugo Lloris was sent off. The question question is, from which country were Spurs' opponents on that night from? The reason reason why I'm asking which country is because the name of the club is totally obscure. (laughs) You're going to get it. So, from which European country maybe you can remember but it's it's a bit of an impossible question it's
2: quite an obscure one
0: yeah <clears throat> but maybe the fact that the club is obscure might help you i don't know and
2: harry loves a guessing a guessing question let get them right i'm
1: trying to think <laughs> i'm not
2: <laughs> somehow uh,
1: i know it's a, it's a personal cliche but i, t- I have no idea <laughs> oh yeah
3: yeah, it's, yeah
1: let's go through some answers oh dear so
0: Kane had four spells away from the as a young player can you name any of the four clubs there's four points available I'll start with Harry Well, I went with
1: Norwich Leicester City Leighton Orient and Fleetwood. oh you can't really see it in the light all yeah, spelled incorrectly I believe
2: uh, Sam, what have
1: you gone with?
2: I've got Orient, Leicester, Norwich, but I've gone Millwall instead of Fleetwood. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Okay,
3: Uh, and Devon? Yeah, I also went Orient, Norwich, Leicester, and then took a punt with Millwall. Oh, you've
0: gone with the same... uh, Same... As Sam, and you're both (laughs) correct. Yes! Darn it! Um... Which means Sam closes the gap slightly on the lead. I'll,
2: say, I'll save him for more of a swing there, but I'll take one.
0: <laughs> okay. How many times has he won the Premier League golden boot? Devon, I'll start with you.
3: Um, I, I can't remember him. I can remember him scoring a lot, but being outscored apart from the 15-16 season where he's got one.
0: So you've gone with one golden boot. Yep. I think.
1: Sam?
2: I've gone three so then you went back to back and then maybe there's one other one okay Damn, and yeah. Harry.
1: that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking I thought he went back to back but oh, where have I put it? There it is. I put back to back but also I thought there'd, there'd be a random one somewhere that I wasn't too yeah. sure about
2: so it, I went with three as well just... he was ch- trying to call the whole... again this Hull wasn't it like mm. yeah when he scored like on the, the final, final every day two, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah.
0: the final day um you're, you're correct that he did go back-to-back, um, but he didn't have a, an odd one. <sighs> to we'll start we
3: two. Which means <laughs> one should get the point. Yes.
0: <laughs> it was 2015-16 and 16-17 yeah. to 17 that he won it, but um, no, there were no others.
3: I must have been thinking about someone else. I thought he'd only like, scored one ever, <laughs> but scored a lot of goals in them seasons anyway.
0: Okay. Question number three. So there's two points up for grabs in this one. In which year did he score his first goal for England? But I'm also asking which country was it against? Um, Devon, I'll start with you. Right.
3: uh, Upon 2015 Montenegro.
0: You've gone with 2015 and Montenegro, Sam. I
2: also went 2015, but I went Lithuania.
0: Okay.
2: And Harry
1: Harry's correct it was, with. It was, it was between 2015 and 14, but I put 2014 and I put San Marino. Okay. That's
2: a safe bet. Um, everyone's got a goal against San Marino. This,
1: this is quite a
0: quite an important round because it was in twenty fifteen and it was against Lithuania. Yes!
1: Darn <laughs> it. <laughs>
0: Come on, so, so sad, I've, got,
3: uh, I've got one at one point at least.
0: Very good, ah. very good work. I I, I kind of remembered I, because I can remember them wearing yellow,
2: but I, I don't know. Um, good work. I feel, like I feel like he came on this as a sub or something and scored it, and like yeah, 20%. I think I
0: think he I think he did come off the bench. You're right. That's that's
3: okay. uh, better knowledge than me. I I just took a, I just like. You know. Montenegro seemed to concede quite a few against us, apart from when they beat us that time.
0: But okay, so now we're on to the kind of the, the, the guessing questions. Really, um, Kane against Newcastle took him on to two hundred and one goals at club level. How many of those goals have not been for Spurs? The closest wins. I'll start with Sam. I went fourteen. It can't Sam be a lot. With fourteen, um, Harry. I put 17. Harry's gone with 17. And Devon?
3: I've gone with 12, so it'll probably be 13.
0: Okay. Just to
3: split me and Sam. Um,
0: I can tell you he scored five goals for Leighton Orient. Nine probably more than that. More. Nine. Big, oh. big fat zero for Norwich. And uh, two for Leicester. So if you've done your maths... That's 16, which means Harry gets... <laughs> no! <one>. Oh! <laughs> only, only just that he gets... Bloody one
3: hell, that one. I could have He's, swore that he scored none for, Le- uh, for Leicester and Norwich, because I thought that was the whole backstory of him being terrible before Tottenham.
2: Well, I enjoyed those 10 <laughs> seconds, a real level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, final question. In October 2014, he scored a hat-trick in the Europa League... The Spurs before going between the sticks when Hugo Lloris was sent off. But from which country were Spurs' opponents on that night from? I'll start with Harry on this one. I put, because I have no idea, Slovakia. You've gone with Slovakia, okay. And Sam, we'll go to you next. Ukraine. Ukraine.
3: Devon. I I just I I, I thought it was someone like FN Borg or something so I've gone Norway, but I don't know if they're Swedish or not.
0: I'll apologize for this one, because it was a ridiculous question. Mm. I was just <laughs> trying trying to make it harder, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the, cl- the club the club were called Asterisk Tripolis.
3: Oh yeah.
2: could be anywhere.
1: And they're from mm. Greece. Oh, I never would have said that. Yeah, can I, just... I never would have gone grief.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I... So yeah, I, I apologise on, on the podcast behalf for that one. We're, um,
3: we're sacking you. I think we might have to get a friend of the podcast back on from uh, from a <laughs> Bundesliga re- uh, expert.
0: Oh dear. Um, let me just total these up while I just let the tension build. Um...
3: <laughs> this is where we need is, is, uh, tension music again.
2: I think I know Okay. Close the gap. Sam looks dejected. So, I Devin, has,
0: um, Devin has closed the gap oh. slightly. Um, by one on, point. On, <laughs> on the top, by one point, you're on 46. <laughs> Sam now on 52. Harry on 53. So, close. going into the final few rounds. No as we said... Yeah, um, we've, all, we've,
3: we've only got about three, three more podcasts of this first yeah, series. There's
0: only a few more left, so... It's still all to play for. Um, but that is the end of this week's podcast. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, we will be back next week. Of course, we will for episode number 13. That's a bit scary, isn't it? We, maybe we just won't mention 13 on that episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll write it. We'll write for some. For the number. Um, but there's some, there's some big games coming up over the next week or so. There's the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend. Um, Tottenham against Leicester as well in the Premier League Derby against Leeds we know how big that clashes after last season and then the championship concludes on Wednesday July the 22nd um, so keep your eye out for that one as Devon showed the publicity follow us at the underscore formation um, tweet us in whatever you like if you've got something which you'd like to discuss um, but until next week see you later
3: See you later. Bye. Bye.